from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Have you ever tried to explain something to a person who knows absolutely nothing about it? This usually happens with small children who have endless questions and are struggling to understand exactly what you're telling them. In those instances, one of the best methods to use is to offer clear descriptions of what you're trying to tell them, describing the physical attributes or the characteristics of this particular thing will help develop a mental image in their mind. On top of that, you can also compare and contrast those attributes with other things that they already have an understanding of. Naturally, it's far easier to explain something to someone when the words we are using have clear meanings. But today, it seems that we no longer live in a time where words have universally agreed upon meanings. And in some cases, these changing meanings are disingenuous, purposely twisted to further an agenda. Recently, terms such as justice, marriage, tolerance, and even love have been altered to suit a particular political agenda. How do we communicate truth in such an atmosphere? Confusion about the law of God is common for Christians today, and in our culture, people are being indoctrinated with the notion that there are no absolutes, that everything is relative, and that what's right for you isn't necessarily what's right for me. Dr. Kennedy speaks to this dilemma with his message, Why the Law of God? Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from a very familiar passage of God's holy word, the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. Here, as I trust you all know, God gives the Ten Commandments from the mountain of Sinai. May we hear the inspired and infallible word of the living God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take 
the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger which is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And may God speak to us today through his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. The scorching desert, the dim presence the impenetrable cloud, the smoke as from a furnace, the leaping flames, the trembling mountain, the voice of God as the sound of thunder, all conspired to cause the hearts of Israel to tremble with fear and to melt within them. And they either fell upon their faces or they cried out, saying to Moses, Speak thou with us, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. As the Almighty came to sit, as it were, upon a gigantic throne of granite, to dispense his law to his creation. These were the operating instructions from the Creator. Not this time did God use the voice of a prophet, but spake with his own voice. And not this time did he use the pen of a scribe or an amanuensis, but rather he wrote with his own finger upon the tables of stone. The Ten Commandments of God, his moral law. And I would have you to remember that it is impossible to break the law of God. You cannot break the law, you can only break yourself upon it. Innumerable individuals and nations have hurled themselves against those tablets of stone, and the remnants of their destruction may be found in the hospitals, the asylums, the prisons, the battlefields, the skid rows of this world. You cannot break the law of God. You can only break yourself 
upon it. Now, it is said of some in the Old Testament that they were wiser than most because they understood the times. Do you understand the times in which you live? Do you know what has been going on? Dr. Paul Johnson, one of the most eminent of modern historians, has written a monumental work entitled Modern Times, which catalogs and chronicles the 20th century. And in that, he points out that the 20th century all began with the publication of a certain paper early on in the century. You may recall that in 1905, Albert Einstein released his special theory of relativity. In 1916, he published the general theory of relativity. And in 1919, in the midst of an eclipse, it was ascertained that this was confirmed. And relativity became the watchword of the 20th century. And Johnson points out that since that time, the entire 20th century has been a spreading of the theory of relativity out of the realm of physics and astronomy into every other science and then into the social sciences of psychology and sociology and on into ethics and morals and on into law and then into religion until the entire world has been relativized by the end of the 20th century. And this has been one gigantic experiment testing whether or not man can live without absolutes. That's what's been happening in the 20th century. We can't blame it on Albert Einstein. He was as appalled as you are. And when he saw that his theory was being spread into every conceivable kind of discipline, he said, relativity, and by the way, if you want a quote from Einstein that you ought to repeat whenever you have the opportunity to do it, I recommend this one. If you can't think of something to say sometime, you could just say this. You know, Albert Einstein said, just dump it into any conversation. I guarantee it won't lie there. Albert Einstein said, relativity is for physics, not ethics, quote, unquote. And that is something that I hope in the 21st century we will finally grasp. Of course, God is the ultimate absolute. And for those who say there are no absolutes, this is a veiled attempt to cover up their atheism. When people talk about moral relativity, they're covering up their atheism. God is the ultimate absolute. And God's law are ultimate absolute laws. And they cannot be broken, they cannot be ignored, and God is more than able to call people into account for what they have done with them. Everyone in this sanctuary will one day account 
for how they have dealt with those laws. Of course, the 20th century was softened up by the voices of that trio of ungodliness in Karl Marx, who said, man is controlled not by the absolutes of God, but by economic factors. Or Sigmund Freud that said that man is controlled by sexual desires and not by the laws of God. Or Friedrich Nietzsche, who said that God is dead and there are no absolute laws, and therefore the only thing that controls man is the quest for power, man and superman, and man is determined to become superman and to replace God. Of course, this quest to be your own God is what is behind all of humanism, which would elevate man into the position of God. It's what is behind all of your New Age religions, which are all based on a quest to become God. You cannot destroy or break the law of God. You can only break yourself upon it. And when Paul, in the third chapter of Romans, gives the most complete summation of the Christian gospel, how does he end up? He concludes by saying, Do we then make void the law through faith? Now, there are some today that would say, Yes and amen, brother. We get rid of it. We don't need the law. We don't need to follow it. That's gone. All we need is Christ. That's not what Paul said. I hope all of you know what he said. He said, Meganoito, or in English, let it not be, or God forbid. As the text, the King James says, God forbid that we do away with the law through faith. Yea, we establish the law. As the Old Testament promised, the commandments of God, the law of God, would one day be written upon the fleshly tablets of the heart. And so now they are. And so they become the guide for a Christian whose great desire, having been saved by grace through faith alone, is now how can he please his Savior? What can he do? Now, the word law in Greek is the word namos, N-O-M-O-S. And those who are against the law, those who say that the law has no place at all in the Christian life, are called antinomians, against the law. And they say, we're saved by grace through faith, and now we do whatever we want. Now, I have said to various groups where there are people who have defended that view, and they do exist. I have asked this question. Having accepted Christ and been saved by his grace, is it, your, is it not your desire to please Christ and to show your love to him out of gratitude? Oh, absolutely, they say. Then here is my question. Name one thing that you could possibly do that would please God other than obeying his commandments. I have always been met with a roaring silence. There is nothing. In fact, in the Old Testament, 
God makes it very clear that he does not want us inventing things to do to please him. He says, who hath commanded thee to thus trample my courts? Don't invent some works of super arrogation or something that you think you can do beyond what God has called you to do. You'll never begin to do everything God has commanded you to do. Finally, one man raised his hand and said, I have something. I said, wonderful, what is it? He said, love God. Surely you jest. Are you not aware of the fact that Jesus Christ summed up the first table of the law by saying, the first and greatest commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart and strength and mind and soul? That is the essence of the first table of the law. And the second is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That is the essence of it. No, Jesus didn't say, if ye love me, forget my commandments. Did he? He said, if you love me, keep them. The bit and the bridle are used to tame a wild stallion. But may I remind you that the bit and the bridle are used to guide a tame horse to go in the direction that its owner would have it to go. And so we who love the Lord, who are saved by grace through faith alone, should desire to please him in all that we do. And so this is the purpose of the law, of the moral law today. It is a guide for the Christian to enable him to show his love and his gratitude for Christ. All of the pagan religions of the world basically say one thing. Do. Do this and do that and do the other and do this and do this and do that and the other. Only Christianity says, done. It is done. The last words of Christ before commending his soul to the Father. It is finished. It is done. It is paid. To Telestai, it is enough. Christ has paid it all. There's nothing to do to obtain our salvation because Christ has done it all. Salvation is by grace alone. But you know, grace is very difficult for people to understand for the simple reason that the world doesn't operate by grace. The world operates by a quid pro quo. Tit for tat, this for that, so much work, so much pay. By justice. This is all that the world knows, and so people come to God thinking they're going to get justice. I'm reminded of that famous trial back in 1953 when Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were found guilty of giving our atomic secrets to the Soviet Union. And they were found guilty, and they were sentenced to death. And their lawyer said to Judge Kaufman, after the verdict was in, said, Your Honor, all my clients ask for is justice. And Judge Kaufman replied, What your clients have asked for, this court has given them. What you really mean is what they're asking for is mercy. 
This court is not empowered to grant that. And they died in the electric chair. Dear friends, we have not given secrets to the Soviets, I trust. But every one of us is a traitor. We have rebelled against the Most High God and the government of the Kingdom of Heaven. We are guilty of breaking all of his laws, violating his earth, killing his son. And there is no doubt about the outcome of the trial, for Christ has already told us, you need not hold your breath to see how you will do in that great assize, the final judgment. Here is the verdict. It is already in. Ye are condemned already. That is justice. The good news is that that court is empowered to grant mercy because God Almighty has given his own Son to endure the justice, to pay the just penalty, to suffer infinitely in our stead. And now for all of those it will come empty-handed abandoning all trust in their own goodness, piety, or merit, and cling to that cross. The mercy is granted because Christ has died. We who trust in him may be spared. That is the wonder of grace. And it is that and that alone by which we may be saved. May we pray. Father, for those who have still been protesting their innocence and goodness and worthiness, demanding justice, May they lift up their eyes to Calvary's cross and see the one who was getting their justice, that they might receive mercy and place their trust in Christ alone, saying right now, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my heart Forgive me and pardon me and cleanse me and renew me and make me thine own. I accept you as King and Savior and Lord and God. In thy name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer with Dr. Kennedy, then you have begun the greatest adventure of your life. And to help you begin to grow in the Christian faith, we'd like to send you Beginning Again. In these pages, you'll learn how to read and study the Bible, how to pray and even find answers to some of the questions you may have. It's our gift to you when you write to our address or call our toll-free number. Be sure and ask for Beginning Again. And may God richly bless you. 
As Dr. Kennedy explained so eloquently, we who love the Lord and who are saved by grace through faith alone should desire to please God in all that we do. That is the purpose of God's moral law. It's the avenue for the Christian to express gratitude and to show love for Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. But in our culture, lawlessness is rampant. It is all too common for those who are hostile to God's law to thwart justice through the court system. Activist judges use their power to suit their own whims, straying far from the moral foundations given to us by God. That's not the proper role of a judge in our Constitution, and that's why it's so important to have good judges who interpret the Constitution as written, which guarantees that messages like this one today can be proclaimed rather than rewriting it to advance secularism and atheism. President Trump has consistently nominated avowed constitutionalist judges to the federal bench, but more than 70 of them are stalled as opposing senators obstruct their confirmation. We have put together a petition to Senate leaders calling upon them to use their expanded majority to get these judges confirmed immediately. Let them hear from you by signing this petition at djkm forward slash judges. That address again to sign the petition to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham calling upon them to move forward with the confirmation of the 70 plus judges is djkm.org forward slash judges. And we also have a vital resource to share with you that shows how we can counter the secularism that is chiseling away at our freedoms. As our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry, we will send you our book, Reclaiming the Lost Legacy, The Founders and the First Amendment. This book details the illegitimate removal of God from government and how we can reclaim America's biblical heritage. It is our thanks for your generous donation to the work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or go online to djkm.org. Reclaiming the Lost Legacy features chapters from Dr. Kennedy, from me, and from many others. This compelling book explores America's deep heritage of freedom and will remind you why it is worth preserving today. And it will set forth concrete steps for how we can do it. We will send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org.
I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.